the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Animalist number 3030 additional. The following program is sponsored Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. As you and I live out the gospel in natural relationships within a life's context, our life will expose the darkness. And a bit like when we were kids, we'd kick the stone over and all those little insects would go scurrying because they love darkness rather than light. People will go scurrying. And unlike insects, they'll fight back. So folks, don't be surprised. They're not going to like you because they didn't like him. Many of us don't like surprises, whether it's a birthday party or an unexpected bill at the end of the month, we don't want to be caught off guard. Today on Know the Truth, author, pastor, and Bible teacher Philip DeCourcy is helping us to keep from being surprised. He's reminding us to expect adversity and even hostility from those who oppose our faith. It's a message called Not a Surprise, and it's from our current series titled Maximum Security. Philip begins today's study with one of his favorite stories. Snoopy was sitting on top of his doghouse, crouched over his typewriter, beginning another one of his novels. It was a dark and stormy night. Well, as he's sitting there wondering what the next line's going to be, Lucy interrupts him, takes a look at the first line in his novel, and spouts, you stupid dog. That's no way to begin a novel. You know that all Classic novels and stories begin with the words, once upon a time. That's how you should begin. Julie rebuked, Lucy having left. Snoopy returns to the novel again, and he types a new opening line. Once upon a time, it was a dark and stormy night. (laughs) I like that story for several reasons. And as I've reflected on the passage before us, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19, like Snoopy's novels, the telling and retelling of the Christian story must always include a dark and stormy night element. Why? Because I would suggest to you as the church that the Christian life is the crucified life. The Christian life is the crucified life. If you're going to be a bona fide follower of Jesus Christ, he himself was crucified. He himself suffered at the hands of wicked men. You yourself will bear his reproach. You yourself will suffer. You yourself will face your own crucifixion, metaphorically speaking. Because loving God invariably leads to man hating us. Let me say that again. Loving God invariably leads to man hating us. 
That's what Peter's going to teach us here. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's suffering. The Christian life is the crucified life. Wounds of all kinds, physical and psychological, await those who love and follow the crucified Savior. Study church history, read it, and you should, and you'll see that the church in every age won few popularity awards. They were the master's minority and often persecuted for it. Their story is a trail of blood. In fact, I would suggest that the Bible is very clear about the fact that persecution is a rite of passage in the Christian life. There's no dodging that bullet. There's no getting to heaven unscathed and unscarred if you're a Christian. Now, let me give you a couple of verses that kind of reinforce that. In John's gospel, chapter 15, 18 to 19, we're in the upper room discourse. Jesus is on the eve of his departure from this life in the next few days. And he tells his disciples, hey, I want you to know that the world hated me and they're going to hate you. Jesus says in those verses, you know what, if if you were of the world, the world would love you, but you're not of the world, although you're in the world and you're on the outs with the world, just like me. And so Jesus warns them, when I'm gone, here's what you're going to face. You're going to face what I faced. If you look anything like me, they're going to hate you like they hated me. In fact, in the same upper room discourse, John 16, 33, you know that verse. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In fact, This idea of persecution being a rite of passage in the Christian life, it is clearly stated in Acts 14, 22, isn't it? Through much tribulation, you will enter the kingdom of heaven. Through much tribulation, there's no dodging that bullet. You can't go to heaven unscathed and unscarred. What about Philippians 1, verse 29? where Paul says, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. It's your privilege. It's your calling. It's what's going to happen. And one verse to top it up, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Those that will live godly in this world will face persecution. I think you get it. There always has to be a dark and stormy night element to the Christian story. Christians go around with a target on their back. Christians live in the presence of their enemies. They can be expected to be hunted, harassed, and hurt. And let's be honest about this. Something of that is a bit of a foreign concept to us as Christians in America, because in God's good and gracious providence of which we should feel no guilt, God has indeed protected the church here, largely shielded the church from the reality that's faced by brothers and sisters all across the world, and that is persecution and trial and trouble at the hands of evil men and governments who are godless. Now, the church in America for the last 200 years has largely been shielded from that. But that's not true of most Christians across the world. They can identify with Romans 8, verse 30. 6, where Paul says, we are led like sheep to the slaughter. And that's what's happening today across the world. And as we're thinking about Islamic terror and terrorism, we're very much aware of ISIS and other Islamic terrorist groups who are acting against God's people with utter brutality and butchery, beheadings, crucifixions, 
mass shootings, hangings, people being buried alive, women and children sold as brides to Islamic husbands or sex slaves. That's staggering. And you know what's even more staggering? The silence of the world and the silence of our own president's administration. In fact, I would suggest to you that when all the figures are put together, when all the evidence is mounted that Christians are facing persecution to a degree where the persecution of Christians is the number one human rights violation in the world today. In fact, the Voice of the Martyrs blog says this, the persecution facing Christians is the largest human rights violation issue of today. However, it's impossible to know with absolute certainty the exact number of Christians who are being killed each year. According to the World Evangelical Alliance, over 200 million Christians in at least 60 countries are denied fundamental human rights solely because of their faith. The numbers are multiplying each and every year, and they close this blog by saying, it is estimated that by 2025, an average of 210,000 Christians will be martyred each and every year. That's the world we live in. Although, let me say this. While we have largely escaped that harrowing experience, and we're thankful to God for that, there's a cultural shift going on in our own country. The wind is beginning to blow in a nasty direction towards us. There's a hostility that's growing in America towards all things godly and all things Christian. Each and every year, the church in America draws closer and closer to the situation faced by brethren throughout the world and across history. Christians today, because of their stand for Jesus Christ, because of their opposition to gay marriage, abortion, evolution as a theory, Christians are being hounded from government posts, educational chairs, and some of them are losing their chaplaincies in the armed forces because they're being forbidden to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, something they're unwilling to do, and we would agree with that. The winds of change are blowing across America, and those winds of change are increasingly blowing into the face of Christians. Like one article, just summarizing it briefly, said this, a student is punished for refusing to stomp on a portrait of Jesus. A Christian baker faces a year in jail for refusing to cater for a homosexual marriage. Two men are arrested for reading the Bible aloud near a government building. A school purges Christian literature from its library in its entirety. That's America today. There was a day in America where the Christian faith was held with esteem and respect. Today, many view us as the equivalent to the Taliban. We're considered the off-scarring of society. We're considered a nuisance at best and a threat at worst. That's where we're at. None of that should surprise us. None of that should surprise us. And that's one of our challenges as the church in America. We've had it so good for so long that if the tide changes and the wind shifts and blows in our face, you and I need to come to a passage like this and remember, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you are partaker of Christ's suffering. So let's come to this passage and see what we can learn. This is a passage that Many Christians across every age and in many today and many other countries take refuge in, and certainly a passage you and I need to learn and relearn given the direction of things today. Let me just put the text in its context. Here's what we know quickly. This letter was written by the Apostle Peter. 
probably written around AD 64 from Rome. In chapter 5, he talks about greetings from Babylon, which most commentators believe is code for Rome. So he's writing from Rome. Around about that era, we have the beginnings of Nero's persecution of Christians. And to some degree, Peter's writing from a city where there are signs of increasing persecution of Christians. And he's writing to several congregations of Christians that have been scattered throughout Asia Minor, the area today we would call modern Turkey. And so Peter, writing from Rome to several churches around AD 64 in Asia Minor, writes to them and helps them to think through how to live in a hostile environment for Jesus Christ. He calls them aliens. He calls them strangers. You know, we talk about outsiders today in politics. These people were the true outsiders. And he writes with this purpose, according to chapter 5 and verse 12, what does he say? He says, I'm exhorting you and testifying that the true grace of God be found in you as you make a stand for Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of this letter. He's writing to Christians who are living in a hostile environment, a godless culture, and he's writing to them to stand in the grace of God. Now, most commentators believe that the persecution they were facing was more of a low-grade persecution. In fact, it just happened as I was driving the other day. I thought I'd give my friend Mark Hitchcock a call. We tend to call each other every week or so. And as I called him, he was just leaving the Dallas Metroplex area where he had taught at Dallas Seminary a class on 1 Peter. So he says, Mark, I'm listening. Tell me about 1 Peter because I'm about to preach chapter 4. And he says, I think the context is that they were facing a low-grade persecution. They were facing resentment. They were facing ostracization. They were facing bias in the culture, not physical harm, not so much, not official sanctioned persecution, but more that their unbelieving families were turning against them. They were losing business deals in the city guild and in city hall. No one would listen to them. They were on the ice with the world. And I think you see that in chapter 2 and verse 12. The emphasis is on having your conduct honorable among Gentiles for when they speak against you. It's not so much physical, the persecution. It's more psychological. They're speaking evil against them. You'll see that in chapter 3 and verse 16 where they are defamed. You'll see it in chapter 4 and verse 4 where again they're spoken evil against. And so Mark said this, and I thought it was a good insight. He says, Philip, I think what they were facing is what the church is facing in America. There's no official persecution of the church. We still live in great physical safety. But the undercurrent is what? Resentment, mockery, make fun of Christians, and to speak evil of them. So you see, we live in a culture where if you speak against homosexuality, you're the evildoer. That's the culture. And 1 Peter is so relevant. So let's come and look at this passage. Just looking at one thing. Peter encourages realism. That's verse 12. And remember where we're at in this series on maximum security. Last time we encouraged ourselves to pray. This is going to help us find peace and safety. Pray. But also think realistically. Don't be surprised at the hatred that our brothers and sisters are facing in the world. Don't be surprised that our own country is beginning to turn against the Christian church because none of these things should surprise us and none of these things happen without God's permission. I want you to notice verse 19 where we read, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him 
in doing good as to a faithful creator. So I think that helps us peace through prayer and peace through realistic expectations about the culture in which we live and the suffering that you and I can face. So let's delve into this idea of realism. Verse 12. Again, Peter is writing from Rome, AD 64. We're probably on the cuspus, the doorstep of a 200-year period of increasing persecution for the church. It will be triggered soon enough with the burning of Christians in Nero's backyard. Some believe that's what's maybe being hinted at here with the fiery trial idea. I think that's more metaphorical than physical. But Peter's writing to them, and he wants them to realize that this kind of thing's going to happen. Persecution, rejection, resentment, mockery, criticism, opposition. And he doesn't call them to face it with positive thinking. And he doesn't encourage them to kind of whistle their way through life trying to ignore what you really can't ignore. No, he wants them to think realistically, to reflect theologically, and to understand that what's going on is not strange, it's not shameful, and it's not surprising. In fact, there's two things here if you're taking notes. Number one, their persecution is inevitable, and number two, their persecution is intentional. Let's just drill down on this thought, inevitable. It should come as no surprise. In fact, come back to chapter 2 and verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. If you jump over a book or two, you can go to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 13. And here's what John says to his audience. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. This isn't surprising. This is par for the course. This is the Christian's lot in life. This comes with the territory of faith in the master. Now, I would say this. The Gentile believers to whom Peter's writing were probably surprised. Because remember, they have come out of a pagan background where they faced no religious persecution. Now, the Jewish believer, who was a Jew before they were a Christian— even as a Jew, they would have faced a certain amount of bias and bigotry and harassment. But there are some who have come out of the pagan culture who were Romans to some degree in lifestyle and culture, and now they're on the other side of this, and they are facing something they've never faced before. And Peter has to remind them, don't be surprised. This is par for the course. And the inevitability is tied to a couple of things. Number one, Trouble is the lot of those who look or speak anything like the Lord Jesus. Because you see, in verse 13, they're going to be encouraged to embrace the suffering and become a partaker of Christ's sufferings. You see, the Christian life is the crucified life. You can't get to heaven unscathed and unscarred. The one who bears the wounds in his hands and his feet, if you love him and follow him, you too are going to face the hatred and the harassment of the world, for he did. And he told us that, didn't he, in John 15, 18 to 19. He says, if they hated me, they'll hate you. And they persecuted me before they'll persecute you. So just understand, folks, you and I are going to face persecution if we look anything like the Lord Jesus. Which would remind us, by the way, that you know that the less the world knows about Jesus, the more they like him. But the more they get to know him, as he's revealed in the Gospels, the less they like him. See, most people believe in a Jesus of their own making. The kind of Jesus who doesn't send anybody to hell. The kind of Jesus who turns a blind eye. 
to their misdeeds, who doesn't demand exclusive loyalty, who doesn't believe in monogamous marriage, as Matthew 19 says he does, between a man and a woman. Now, they have a Jesus who loves everybody, goes with the flow, and that's why they like him. But when you and I reflect what he truly said in our words, and when you and I reflect what he's truly like in our actions, they're not going to like you because they didn't like him. They can tolerate the Jesus light. But if you start looking like him, living like him, that's a whole different thing. Nearly 50 years ago, British agnostic Bertrand Russell penned these words, there is one very serious defect to my mind in Christ's moral character, and that is that he believed in hell. I do not myself feel that any person who is really profoundly humane can believe in everlasting punishment. I was okay, he says, with Jesus up until a point, and then I learned that he believed there's a place where the worm never dies. I liked him when I knew less about him. I like him less the more I learn about him. And folks, you want to know why it's not a strange thing that we're persecuted? Because if you look anything like the Lord Jesus, you're going to face what he faced. And another element of that is, and it ties into what Jesus did and what we will do as his representatives, that trouble is the lot of anyone who dares to expose the works of darkness. I mean, Jesus in John 3, 19 to 21 tells us that men love darkness rather than light, lest their deeds be exposed and they come to the light. That's why John says he came unto his own and his own rejected him. Why did they reject him? Because Jesus wanted them to to repent. Jesus wanted them to cease and desist from certain behavior. Jesus wanted exclusive loyalty and commitment to him. They weren't having it, so they weren't having him. Because men love darkness rather than light. And when you and I expose that darkness by our light, you can be sure there's a firestorm coming. And yet that's what we're called to do. Ephesians 5, 8 and 14 tells us to expose the works of darkness. And I think the exposure there is by your life. Because we're told here in 1 Peter, be careful you don't become a busybody in other people's affairs. So exposing the darkness doesn't mean you go around with a wagging, condemning finger, looking for any sign of sin in someone's life and telling them what they ought to do. But as you and I live out the gospel in natural relationships within a life's context, our life will expose the darkness. And a bit like when we were kids, we'd kick the stone over and all those little insects would go scurrying because they love darkness rather than light. People will go scurrying. And unlike insects, they'll fight back. You expose their darkness and they'll try and shut down the light. So folks, don't be surprised when these things happen. Because if you look anything like the Lord Jesus and you expose the works of darkness, trouble is bound to come. Yes, Jesus warned us that many would oppose the light, choosing darkness. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy, and this is Know the Truth. Don't miss a single message in this current series called Maximum Security. Just go to our website at ktt.org. There you can listen for free or purchase messages on CD. At Know the Truth, it's our mission to equip you to stand courageously for Christ through the bold and convicting teaching of God's Word. It's our prayer that as you become equipped, you'll stand on the front line sharing God's truth with those walking in darkness, whether they're family or friends, neighbors or co-workers. And to give you some additional inspiration, Philip would like to send you his newest book called Take Cover, based on our current series. It's just coming off the press now, and if you give a generous gift today, we'll be sure you get one of the first copies. Donate to the Ministry of Know the Truth, 
when you call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. You can also write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Philip's book, Take Cover, will guide you through the practical and biblical steps for finding peace and security in God's protection, while encouraging you to share the good news with others. Again, the book is yours when you support the nonprofit ministry of Know the Truth. Make a secure online donation at ktt.org or speak to one of our friendly volunteers when you call 888-644-8811. Volunteers are standing by and they can also tell you about free resources like this month's Take Cover bookmark. And be sure to ask them how you can sign up to give monthly, making it easy to support Know the Truth all throughout the year. That's all the time we have for today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Tomorrow, Philip DeCourcy continues our series titled Maximum Security. There's more to learn Tuesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Call Term Provider. Speak with Big Lou at 800-444-2013. Big Lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes, are overweight, or have high blood pressure. Term Provider has helped thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance. To buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you, all you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-444-2013. Lou will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-444-2013. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds, too. Call 800-444-2013. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.